Well, good morning. Man, I hope you had a great Independence Day celebration with your family and friends on July 4th. Hopefully you didn't get too wet. It's been raining a lot, but it's wonderful. And it's hard to believe just 238 years ago, we as a nation, we declared our independence from Great Britain, and publicly we declared our dependence on God. And America, our, our heritage, our founding fathers of this nation were Christian men. Men that were very vocal about their faith. And it's hard to believe that 18 centuries before the founding of our great nation, there was a man who walked the face of the earth. His name was Jesus Christ. And 20 centuries later, today, that man is still the central figure of the human race. Our founding fathers believed in that man. They put their faith and trust in that man. And that man, Jesus Christ, today is still transforming lives and is the central figure of the human race. And it's hard to believe when you think about great men and great leaders and great political leaders, often they come with power. But Jesus came as a servant. He came as a servant leader, not a self-serving leader, but as a servant leader. So for the last three weeks, we've been kind of learning. We've been trying to learn from this greatest role model of all time. And we began with a simple, I believe, life transformational truth. And that's this. Every single person in here who calls themselves a Christian is a leader. You remember that? I mean, Jesus very clearly said that we're supposed to live as light we're supposed to guide. We are the salt of the earth. And salt influences its surrounding. Salt releases flavor. We're supposed to bring out the best in the people sitting next to us. We're supposed to bring out the best with our coworkers. We're supposed to be people who serve and who lead and influence our surroundings. Now, the biggest barrier for us living like Jesus is the condition of our heart. I mean, if we're honest... We all have a kind of a very self-serving heart, right? You know, if we're not careful, I mean, think about your marriage relationship. When do you ever complain to your spouse? You know, honey, you've just been so self-serving. You know, it's always, you know, you know, what about me? You know, and my needs and, and my wants and how you're supposed to make me happy. It seems like the focus always turns inward to ourselves. But Jesus said, and say it with me if you remember it, it's more blessed to what? to give than to receive. When we give of ourselves, when we give of ourselves to others, Jesus says that's when we really live. When we serve others, we live out of God's abundance rather than the scarcity of an empty life. So if you want to live like Jesus, we need to serve like Jesus. We need to serve and live life with a selfless heart. That's not easy to do. But that's what Christ has called us to do. So we want to live like Jesus. we got to serve like Jesus. And then last week we talked about how we need to teach like Jesus. Now, how did Jesus teach? He teach with what? He teach with life coaching and life lessons. Kind of like life on life. We call it the what principle. The what? The with him. The with him principle, and it's kind of neat as you read the Gospels, you see very clearly that, that Jesus Christ very purposely chose 12 men for the purpose that they would be with him. 
that they would do life with him, that they would live with him and be around him and learn from him. And if we want to influence our surrounding and our culture, we need to invest time in those around us. We need to invest time. Now today we want to talk about becoming like Jesus. Become like Jesus. Lead like Jesus. Uh, serve like Jesus. Teach like Jesus today. It's become like Jesus. And I, and I really feel in a lot of ways that this message is the most important message in the series because God's goal for each of us who call ourselves Christ's follower is to become like Christ. To live like Jesus. The Apostle Paul put it this way. Let's read this together. Can we in one voice? Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Those who say, you know, our faith is real. We believe in God. We live in God. We should then live our lives as Jesus did. God desires us to live as Jesus did. It's pretty clear, isn't it? Maybe another way of putting it and is that in order to WWJD, you've got to or you have to LLJD, right? I mean, in order to WWJD, you have to LLJD. Now, what does WWJD mean? Remember back at the turn of the millennium, everyone was wearing these bracelets, you know, and on these wristbands. I guess the guys didn't want to call them bracelets, right? I'm sorry about that, guys. Some of you got them on this morning, and I'm sure you don't want us to know you're wearing a bracelet, but we used to wear these wristbands, right? And on these wristbands, it has the letters what? W-W, and that means what? What would Jesus do? And it's a great statement. It's a great question. And the purpose is you wear the wristband to remind you when you're in a situation or a circumstance, you're not sure what to do, to teach yourself, to train your mind, to ask yourself that question. Well, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? But you can't WWJD if you don't first LLJD. You can't decipher what would Jesus do if you're not living as Jesus did. you got to live like Jesus did and then you'll know what you should do. Sometimes we get it backwards. We need to follow the model that Jesus lived. And then we'll know what Jesus wants us to do. So, are you following the Jesus model? Are you following the model of how Jesus lived? Just like there is a model in which Jesus taught. Jesus taught with, you know, with, with him. Life lessons, life coaching. There is a model in which Jesus chose for himself to live. And I really believe we need to follow that model. Those who say they live in God should live their lives, how? As Jesus did. You should live your life as Jesus did, as Jesus chose for himself to live. So are you doing that? Are you living your life as Jesus did? You see, we are what we do. Can you say that with me? We are what we do. Say it like you mean it. We are what we do. Dallas Willard puts it this way. Our character is the sum of our habits. Our character is the sum of our habits. Our character is the sum of what we do. See, if you don't take a bath, Guess what? You are what you do. You stink. 
You know, if you don't brush your teeth, you are what you do. You've got bad breath, and you've got a mouthful of cavities. We are what we do. We need to live as Jesus did. Now, how do most of us live? I mean, if we're honest, most of us, man, I mean, you know, life is busy, you know, and most of, most of us, most of the time, we wake up every morning, and you have that sound, and you're sound asleep, you're just sleeping so good, and then, that's not the fire alarm, okay, that's the alarm clock, you know, and what do we do? We hit the snooze button, right? And, you know, by the way, why, why do we call it an alarm clock? Isn't that a terrible name? You know, it's like someone's breaking into your house, you know, it's an alarm clock. We ought to call it the opportunity clock, right? I mean, it's an opportunity for another new day or, or call it a have a great day clock. I mean, you know me, I, I'm a big believer that we need to wake up and say what? This is the day the Lord has made. I, say it with me. I will rejoice or we will rejoice and be glad in it. Yeah, it's hard to say it with me when I change it up on you, right? This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I love to personalize that verse. But let's be honest. How do most of us wake up? We sleep to the last possible minute. Yeah, you, you look very guilty. And then you jump out of bed and you eat breakfast while you're in the shower, right? And then you race the kids to school or to preschool or whatever and then you race off to work. And then you come home late at night and you're so tired you don't even say goodbye or goodnight to the person next to you. And the next morning, the alarm clock goes off again. Thank you, Michael. Okay. It goes off again and again. And you start that whole rat race over again. And the problem with the rat race, you know it, right? Even if you don't win, you're still a what? You're still a rat. Because we are what we do. Say it with me. We are what we do. To become like Jesus, we have to live like Jesus. We need to develop some spiritual habits that will help us stay on purpose. We need to live as Christ lived. Well, the question then for us this morning is, how did Christ live? And as you read the Gospels, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, I think you see very clearly three distinct spiritual habits that Jesus did. Number one, three habits. Three habits to help us live like Jesus. Number one, habit number one is this. Get quiet. Can you say it with me? Get quiet. Now say it in your quiet voice. Get quiet. This is often referred to as the spiritual discipline of silence and solitude. And I believe Jesus was very intentional about quieting his mind and letting his soul connect to his Father. Luke 5.16 says this, Jesus often, Jesus what? Often. He often withdrew to the wilderness. Mark 1.12 says, at once the Spirit sent him out into the where? Into the desert. Luke 4.42 says, at daybreak, at daybreak, not when the alarm clock went off, at daybreak, Jesus went out to what kind of place? A solitary place. I think Jesus was trying to purposely model for us the way we should live. Now, that doesn't mean we all should move to Palm Springs, you know, and live in the desert. But we should start every morning by quieting ourselves, 
by letting our souls reconnect with God, by letting our souls reconnect with ourselves. You see, the busyness of our lives should drive us into greater times of being alone and being quiet because the human soul needs time of silence and solitude to rejuvenate itself. And today, more than ever before, there's always noise in our life. There's always a radio or a TV or something's always on. There's noise in our life. And we need silence and solitude to rejuvenate ourselves. Now, getting alone and being quiet hasn't come easy for me. I'm like some of you, you know. I mean, when I get quiet, my mind just kind of explodes with distractions. My mind kind of explodes with things I need to do. I'm kind of a dualaholic. I like doing things, you know. I, even, I just like doing things. And so it's been hard. It's been a discipline. It's been prayer to, to learn to truly turn off the engine of my mind, to be still and silent. I struggle with it. The psalmist says this. Read it with me. Be still and know that I am be still. The Hebrew word for still means to cease your striving. Turn off the engine of your mind. Sit quietly before God. And when I take the time to quiet myself, I can better hear that still, small voice of God. Doing nothing in the early morning hours is the best thing I can do to prepare myself for myself, for my day. It's the best thing I can do to prepare myself for those that I am leading. You see, Jesus got quiet to lead effectively. In Matthew chapter 4, we're told he spent 40 days alone in the desert to prepare himself for his public ministry. In Luke chapter 6, he spent the entire night alone in the desert hills before he selected his 12 disciples. In Matthew 14, he receives the bad news that his uh, cousin, uh, John the Baptist, was killed, and he withdraws to a boat to a lonely place. And then that same chapter, after he feeds 5,000 people, he went up into a hill by himself in verse 23. And it was during these quiet times that Jesus was preparing himself to lead, to lead effectively, to make important decisions, to handle bad news, to deal with difficult people. Look at Mark chapter 6, verse 30. Verse 30 says, The apostles gathered around Jesus, and they reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, Come with me by yourself to what kind of place? A quiet place. And get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Jesus was trying to model for them this habit of effective leadership to rejuvenate our souls by getting quiet. Jesus got purposely quiet to lead himself effectively. Number two, Jesus got quiet to determine how to best use his time, to make the wisest, best decision. Probably one of the most powerful examples of this critical role of getting quiet and how it played a significant part in Jesus' life was when Jesus faced a very difficult situation in John chapter 6. I find this an incredible story. Look at John 6. Let's pick up reading with verse 14. 
When the people saw the miraculous sign, Jesus just fed 5,000 people. And they saw that. They exclaimed, surely he, Jesus, is a prophet we've been expecting. Jesus saw that they were ready to take him by force and to make him what? King. Make him a political leader. Make him a political king. So what did Jesus do? He said, yes, fantastic. I'm glad you finally figured it out. No, what did he do? He said, he went higher into the hills. How? Alone. Left his disciples. He left everybody. Interesting, isn't it? See, the success and the roar of the crowd can be intoxicating, but times of silence and solitude brings us back to reality, helps us clearly see what we need to do. In Mark chapter 1, we read that evening at sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus, and a huge crowd of people from all over Capernaum gathered outside the door to watch. So you got all these people with lots of needs, sick, hurting, poor. So Jesus healed great numbers of sick people. Get this. This is interesting again. The next, answer that phone. Okay, thank you. The next morning, and it's really good when you have this time of quietness to turn your phone off in the mornings, all right? Okay, by the way there. All right, the next morning Jesus woke what? Long before daybreak. And he went out how? Alone. Into the wilderness to pray. Later Simon, Simon Peter, and the others went out to find him. They said, everybody is asking for you. Jesus, why would you turn off your cell phone? I mean, you know, you're not at our beck and call. We need you. There's needs here. There's poor people here. There's lame people here. There's sick people. They need you. But he replied, he's been alone, right? He's been alone. He's been by himself. He replies, we must go on to other towns as well. And I will preach to them too. Because that is why I came. Jesus did not come primarily to heal the sick. Jesus did not come primarily to minister to the poor. Jesus came primarily to preach the gospel. His miracles authenticated his message. His miracles gave proof of who he was, that he was God in human flesh. And he could have been tempted to give into the crowd, to do more of the miraculous, to heal and help more people. But getting alone and praying brought him back to priority number one, which is why he came. He came to preach the gospel. And can you imagine Jesus' intense feelings, his compassion? Can you imagine how hard it must have been realizing that you have the power to help these people? And can you imagine him struggling and wanting to meet every need? But Jesus was able to say no to a good thing in order to say yes to the most important thing, which was the preaching of the gospel. And Jesus, I'm saying, was able to do that because he got alone, he got by himself. Habit number one is to get, how? 
Habit number one. We want me to start from the very beginning again. We don't have two services. You know, we can do that. Habit, um, you're real quick now, aren't you? Habit number one is to get what? Quiet. All right, well, you're all real quick now. You want to go home. Okay. Habit number two is to start praying. Habit number two is what? Start praying. All right, what was Jesus doing during these times of silence and solitude? He was praying. This is often referred to as the spiritual discipline of prayer. And prayer is simply talking to God. Just like you talk to a friend or you talk to your spouse, and hopefully you do God with a little more respect probably, but it's just, it's talking, it's communicating. Mark 6, 46 says, He, Jesus, went up into the hills by himself to do what? To pray. Luke 9, 18, one day as Jesus was alone, what was he doing? Praying. Verse 28, about eight days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John to a mountain to pray. And Jesus was modeling the importance of prayer. Not only this spiritual discipline for him, but for his disciples, for us. In Luke 18, 1, it says, one day Jesus told his disciples a story to illustrate their what? Their need. Their need for what kind of prayer? Constant prayer. God wants us to begin because of our silent time. We get centered. We get focused. We connect with God. And then he wants us to live a life of prayer, of communion, of communicating, of talking with God. Luke 11.1 1 says, uh, Once when Jesus had been out praying, here he is out again praying in the wilderness, one of his disciples came to him as he finished and said, Lord, teach us to pray. I mean, there was just something about the, the quality and the quantity of Jesus' prayer that caused his disciples to ask, Lord, teach us to pray. And you see, prayer is something you learn. Prayer is something you learn by practicing. Just like when I used to play high school and college basketball, we would spend so much time, especially me because I was so lousy, uh, we would spend so much time shooting and shooting and shooting foul shots over and over again, we would practice and practice and practice so in the game we would relax and hopefully make our foul shots. Prayer is the same thing. You learn to pray by, by practicing it, by doing it. Now, a little um, acronym that I use that helps me in my praying is, that, is the uh, letters ACTS, Acts, like the book of Acts. A stands for adoration, C stands for confession, T stands for thanksgiving, and S stands for supplication. Adoration, acknowledging God. And so I begin my prayers by acknowledging God's character, acknowledging God's attributes, telling God, you know, why I love him, why I appreciate him, why I value him, telling him and adoring him for who he is. And as soon as you adore God, as soon as you reflect on God, all of a sudden you begin to feel and sense your unworthiness. And that leads to confession, number two, or C, confession. Confessing our sins to God. And confessing simply means just agree with God that we're human that we make bad choices, that we sin, we miss the mark. 1 John 1, 9 says, but if we confess, and that's that word homologeo, means to agree with God. If we will agree with God of our sins, uh, He's faithful, God's faithful, He is just. He'll forgive us and cleanse us from every wrong. And then after you confess your sins, you are what? You're thankful. So you tell God how grateful you are. You express heartfelt gratitude. As that old hymn writer used to say, Count your blessings, name them one by one. You know that? Count your many blessings, see what? 
Some of you aren't Baptists, okay? See what God has done. Count your blessings. Just count them, count them, count them, count them. Just thank God over and over again for the good things going on in your life. And then supplication, which means to ask. You want to adore God, you want to confess, you want to thank, and then make specific requests. Ask God for what you need. He wants to hear that. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus asked God for what he needed. He prayed for his friend, Simon Peter, that Satan, you know, would sift him. You know, he prayed. It's okay to ask God. I find Christians all the time, they don't seem to understand that. It's okay to ask God what you need. I mean, God wants to know what you need. You know, my kids don't seem to have a hard time asking me for money. I mean, do do your kids have a hard time asking you for money? You know? Some of you thinking, man, I wish you wouldn't be sharing this at church right now because you're sitting next to your kids. Um, But the truth is, is, as a dad, as a mom, we really don't mind them asking. Now, sometimes they can get annoying. But I kind of like it when they ask. I like meeting needs in their lives. I like providing for my family. I I, I do. I really do. Don't take advantage of it, Philip. (laughs) And, And Janelle, you know, and Raymond... But God likes it that we ask. We're acknowledging our need and our dependence, just like that declaration of independence. We declared our independence and we declared our dependence. God wants us to ask. Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask and it will be given to you. What's the next word? Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open." God just shows up. God just shows up in my life when I get quiet and I ask. I just start praying. I start asking and seeking and knocking. So three habits to help us live like Jesus. Habit number one is what? Get quiet. Thank you. You do want to go home still. Habit number two is? Now you really want to go home. Okay. And then habit number three is begin listening. Begin listening. Listening is the spiritual discipline of daily reading your Bible. And today, the Bible stands alone as the greatest book ever written, without a doubt. Still is the bestseller. In the midst of exceedingly busy life and ministry, Jesus made it a discipline to withdraw, to get away, to get by himself, as Matthew 14, 13 says, to a lonely place apart where he would listen to his father. And he did this with a purpose. He did this as a model, as an example for us to follow. And we see this spiritual discipline, you know, throughout the scriptures. You go back to that old priest by the name of Eli and how he taught young Samuel how to hear the voice of God in 1 Samuel 13. Elijah spent many days and nights in the wilderness learning to discern, discern, the Bible says, the still small voice of God in 1 Kings 19. Isaiah said he saw the Lord high and lifted up. Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? Isaiah 6. Jeremiah discovered the word of God to be a burning fire shut up in his bones. And then Joshua said, Joshua said, study this book of the law. Study this Bible. 
continually, daily. Meditate on it day and night. Think upon it. That's what meditate means. Think upon it so you may be sure to obey all that is written in it. Only then will you succeed. Now God spoke to Joshua and Jeremiah and Eli He spoke to them not because they had special abilities, not because they had supernatural talent. God spoke to them because they were listening. We need to choose to put ourselves in a position to listen. And I've shared with you before, I've shared countless times, there is nothing that has marked and has transformed my life more than developing the daily discipline of getting up while it's still dark, getting off by myself, start praying and reading God's word and letting God speak to me and change me and help me to see myself, help me to see my heart. Reading the scripture brings about incredible self-awareness. It it changes you. It's changed my heart towards my wife, towards my kids, towards life, towards ministry. It has changed me. In recent years, Man, it gives me hope. Life is tough sometimes. Life is hard. And when you read the scriptures, it gives you hope. And you realize your hope is in Christ. It's the single most important thing I do in my day is getting up, getting by myself, and listening to God as I read the scriptures. Now, two points of advice as you do that. Number one is read slowly. Richard Foster is probably my favorite author on the spiritual disciplines, him with Dallas Willard. But Richard Foster says this, It's important to resist the temptation to pass over many passages superficially. Our rushing reflects our internal state, and it's our internal state is what needs to be transformed. Read slowly. Allow the Word of God to penetrate deeply into your heart and into your life. Read slowly and then number two read for transformation not for information if you want to study your bible that's great do it another time don't do it first thing in the morning that's the time to let the bible let god speak to you so you read the bible for transformation to speak to your heart to change you not for information the goal is not to get through your bible the goal is allow the bible to get through you the bible is just not a book to be read it's a book to be experienced It's a book of incredible transformational power. And I truly believe that this habit is more important than brushing your teeth. This habit is more important than, than paying your taxes. This habit is more important than taking a bath. Now, I'm not saying don't pay your taxes and don't brush your teeth and don't take a bath. But your body, your physical body, is not as important as your soul. We put so much emphasis today in our culture, and it's a good thing that we're taking better care of our bodies because our body is the temple of God. But our body's going to die. It's going to be in the grave, and it's going to stay there, and it's going to rot. And I don't need to get into the details, all right? But your soul is going to live forever. And we need some spiritual habits to take care of our soul, to grow our soul. We need to live our lives 
as Jesus did. You see, we are what we do. We aren't what we say. We are what we do. And if we want to be like Christ, we need to live like Christ. Now, let me, let me ask you this question. Who is the greatest basketball player of all time? Who is the greatest? Now, before you shout out the answer, before you shout out the answer, I didn't ask who is the greatest basketball player today on planet Earth, which we know the answer is who? LeBron James. Come on, there's no doubt about it. And hopefully he'll keep, he'll keep playing for the Miami Heat. We don't know yet. We'll see. Um, but the question is, who is the greatest basketball player from all time? And the answer is MJ, Michael Jordan, and even LeBron. Everybody knows that. And you remember when Michael Jordan first retired? He retired from basketball to play what? Not golf. I guess he was golfing all the time. That's okay, I guess. He retired to play baseball, Major League Baseball. I want to become a Major League Baseball player. And he did it for how long? About a year and a half. And then he announced, and we were missing Michael. I mean, there's nothing more beautiful than watching Michael with that tongue hanging out, you know, flying to the, I don't know why I said that, but flying to the bat, you know, to, to, to dunk it or to slam it. I mean, there's just nothing exciting. And we were missing Michael Jordan. And he announced that he got right with God and he was coming back to play basketball. You remember it? I remember it. I'm a basketball player. And uh, man, it was so exciting. We were all anticipating. It was all in the media. We just couldn't wait for, for Michael Jordan to come back and to play. And, and, uh, and we had that big homecoming game in the United Center. Everybody was talking about it. You know, and Michael said he had more passion for the game than ever. He had a chance to get away from it. You know, and his passion was stronger than ever. And then we watched that first game. Do you remember that game? It's like Michael Jordan missed like 20 shots. I mean, something was wrong. He couldn't play the game. Even Michael Jordan, possibly at the time the world's greatest athlete, has to submit himself to the habit of regularly, systematically working out in order to be at the top of his game. He could not just will himself to play better. That night, he needed, in his own words, he needed to train harder. He needed to train harder in the fundamentals in the sport of basketball. He needed the habits of training harder. And if we want to live like Jesus, please hear me. We don't need to try harder. We need to train harder. You know, I run into Christians all the time that say, you know, I just need to try harder. I need to stop this. I need to try harder. I need to try harder. No, you don't need to try harder. If you want to live like Christ, if you want to become like Christ, you need to train harder. Because we are what we do. We need to live as Jesus did. We need to habit number one. What do we need to do? We need to what? Get quiet. Habit number two. We need to do what? Start praying. And habit number three, begin listening. Can we bow our heads in prayer? Can you pray? Can you pray right now? Can you say, God, help me to live like Jesus? 
Help me to live like Jesus. Help me to develop the habits of of getting quiet, of start praying, and begin listening. Now, the way you develop the habit of getting up earlier is by going to bed earlier. It's not getting up earlier. It's going to bed earlier. And maybe right now you need to ask God to help you to go to bed earlier. Say, God, help me to go to bed earlier. Help me to train harder to be like Christ. Can you pray this morning and say, God, I want to create space for you to work in my life. God, I want you to work in my life so that I must choose to train harder. Help me to train myself to go to bed earlier so I can get up while it's still dark, get away by myself, and to be quiet and to still my soul and let God speak. Maybe this morning you need to invite Christ into your life to be your personal Lord and Savior. Maybe you need to pray right now and say, God, I acknowledge my sin and I believe that Jesus died for me and I ask Christ to come into my life and to save me and to change me. God, help me to train harder. Father, we thank you just for the incredible life that Jesus lived. What a servant, what a teacher, what a leader. God, help us to follow his habits. Help us to learn the disciplines of silence and solitude of prayer and daily reading your scripture so that we might live more like Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.